And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who can't wait to see the World Series. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it ever beautiful here on Milleronia today. It's always gorgeous here. Yes, yes, I know. I control the weather, so I always make it gorgeous, but still... It's worth saying, good work, Larry. Really is beautiful here today. And Colonel Jeff agrees. And we're in the studio with the two doggies, the way we like to be. It's just gorgeous here. You know what? And of course, as always, the music makes it better. That's the Hugh Hefner Orchestra and the Barbie Benton Dancers featuring boy tenor Brad Simpson asking the musical question... In Holland, if you take a date out to dinner, do you have to go Dutch? Yes, Brad, you do. You have to go Dutch. And that's followed, of course, by the famous Dutch second date, which is no date at all. No date at all because she won't go out with you again because you made her pay for half of the first date. And she doesn't want to do that. She, she, she felt like an idiot going out with you if that's the way it is. So there's no second date at all for you, young, sophisticated Dutch boy. And you know what? I hope you enjoyed saving that $12. Hope it was worth it to you to be alone for the rest of your life. Because, let's be honest, what young woman wants to pay for half the date? So, good question, Brad. And, uh, yes, I never knew quite where Dutch Treat came from, Colonel Jeff thought it would be, well, that's a Dutch treat, which was, uh, he thought, sort of a, a European insult to Holland. And I agreed with him because, after all, he's a colonel. But I think that sounds, that sounds true. But in any case, good question, Brad. In Holland, if you take a date out to dinner, do you have to go Dutch? Yes. I think it's not only tradition. I think it's the law. And I mentioned, uh, well, a couple of folks there in the beginning. Yes, uh, it's worth saying a nice, a nice view on Hugh Hefner and Tom Petty, who just passed away too. I'm sure you know about both of them passing on. And Tom Petty was, well, a great. He was young. He was only 66. And I told the colonel, by the way, that you know, the, you keep saying, wow, he was young. The closer you get to your actual age, you know, if he's dying and it's not that far from your age, you, you're always prone to say, wow, he was young. But uh, good work, Tom. People loved him. And he's got a lot of great music there. He, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Tom Petty and the Tom Petties. And uh, played with Dylan, so well done, Tom. God bless you. And, you know, 
it was worth it to to say it's worth to, to send a tip of the hat to Hugh Hefner, as Colonel Jeff said. Boy, there sure weren't more like him out there, and I, I agreed. I said you're right, and well, there are people, as you know, you may be one of them. And people say, well, he didn't do well for the the culture. You know, he should have done this or that. Well. I don't know. I I don't think I agree with that. This is a fella, ninety-one years old, by the way, and that's that's a that's a good run there. Ninety-one. God bless him, though. He was uh, he was quite a fella, quite a character. He was married three times, I think it was, and uh, but as you must know, unless you live in a cave, he had many many. Let me just add one more many girlfriends and women friends and uh and uh and, and friends and all he had he had said uh, once he had 11 out of 12 playmates that he would go out with and I think it's fair to say the phrase go out with meant come on upstairs and we'll play some monopoly on the giant satin sheeted heart shaped bed i'm and i'm not and i'm not making fun of that i'm saying get a load of this guy he really did he did something you know you want to say i think he's the kind of guy where even on his, even on his first meeting with god even on judgment day god would have to start the meeting by saying well get a load of you you sure knew something didn't you and uh, f would just have to Shrug and smile and say, yes, yes, I did. And uh, you know what? I was at the Playboy Mansion here in, uh, or rather on the mainland in, uh, off of Sunset Boulevard a couple of times. One, things were taped there. Uh, films and TV shows were often shot there. And uh, one time there was, uh, I was invited to come over because there was a benefit show uh, to perform there, and there were going to be a bunch of comics and uh, a bunch of actors and a bunch of uh, Playboy Playmates there. And I know you're probably thinking, you could have started with that one. That's the reason to go. Well, that's frankly true. I and a couple of my friends, other comics, said, uh, you know, uh, you get a call from your publicist or your manager who says, well, you got an invitation to go to the Playboy Mansion. And those two words, by the way, are strong enough, the Playboy Mansion. You're going to sit up and at least say, oh, yeah, oh, okay, what's 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 the question? You're not just going to say, forget it. So I asked, and, and uh, my publicist told me that, you know, well, it's that's what it is. You can go there, and then it's all out back there, and that's a big out back, you know, the backyard. I don't even know if the phrase backyard applies there. It's sort of like, uh, well, one of those in the back of the uh, the house of Versailles there in France where they play chess from 100 yards away with sheep, you know, and they have to move the sheep around. It's fine, by the way. Anyway, any way you want to play chess is fine with me. But uh, and they, they're, so they, they were there in uh, the Playboy Bunnies and... You know, I remember going with the, with those friends of mine. Of course, we were going to go, and uh, 
were standing there and we were going to perform too, and it was for a good cause. And uh, although I can't remember what it is, any cause would have been good. And that's the truth of it. We were going to go, and we went. So if you then said, and it was it was it for a good cause? I don't know. I might have known that day, but I, I really don't know. And I was saying to one of my friends, another comic, that, uh, oh, well, at least it'll be funny to watch all our, our friends, you know, uh, all the, the other comics trying to chat up the girls. Of course, I was one of them. I didn't know, by the way, I was going to be, but of course I was. You know, they come out and they're really pretty and they're all dolled up and... Uh, in nice kind of, you know, dresses and gowns and shorts and, you know, stuff that makes them pretty, which is, let's be honest, everything, because they got up that morning really pretty. So whatever they put on, it's just going to make them really pretty. And uh, one of them was, uh, so they're walking around. So you find yourself there within 15 seconds just saying, Hi, how are you? Well, hello. Oh, hi. Hi, Larry. And they would know your name, which is very good work. Even if they didn't know your name or know who you were, that it's good work that someone says, okay, here are some of the comics who are going to be here. So it makes you feel, frankly, great to have a beautiful woman come up and go, hi, Larry. In fact... Boy, I just I could just remember it now, just having said that. And they were very pretty, and uh, I would say, you know what? Hi, how are you? And uh, so, it's a nice day. You know, there's nothing to say. <laughs> if, if you're not really good at chatting with women, and I'm not really good. No one's really good at chatting with gorgeous women. I know there are guys who can do that, but I, I'm not one of them. So, you just stand there grinning and just saying, uh, so... Uh, so uh, inside, th- that staircase goes, like, right up, I guess, to the, a lot of the, the, the rooms. And I'm not trying to do anything, you know, uh, I'm not trying to pick anyone up. Well, you are, but, you know, I'm not That was my big concern. I would, I would go, I went to the restroom inside there about every six minutes for the entire afternoon because I just wanted to see the staircase again and to look down the hallways I didn't go up the staircase. I mean, I'm stupid, but I'm not crazy, you know. And, and then, although I think that's in the past, that's where all the fancy guys, all the show business guys, went, I think, up the stairs to one of the, well, I guess there are a lot of rooms there. And you could go to a, uh, any one of them. And you were, with, you were with someone. You were with one of the uh, bunnies. And... Uh, um, I may have to turn the air conditioning on here in the studio. It's, does it feel a little stuffy to you suddenly? At any rate, you know what? I thought Hugh Hefner was a, a fine fellow, terrific guy, an interesting cat. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you. I, I have no problem with that. He just look what he did. He did he change the culture? Yeah, I guess he did. Did he change the vocabulary and the way things were done? I guess he did. I had uh, I had a girlfriend in New York in my uh, uh, comedy club days, and she was, oh boy, and we really liked each other. We really cared about each other. And she was a bunny in the New York uh, club, the New York Playboy Club. 
And that was quite a thing to be. And also, it was quite a thing for me, because I could go pick her up after doing a show, and she would be getting off in another, oh, 15, 20 minutes and at the club there. And they did everything. You know, they had the, the way to serve things, uh, the bunny dip, that's what uh, they called it. But everyone, everyone, I got along with everyone there, and they knew me. They knew that, well, he's, you know, he's, he's Patty's boyfriend. And uh, so I knew the guys at the door and coming in, hiya, Larry, oh, hiya, Cliff, or whatever the guy's name was, and then go in and everyone would be, uh, all the guys and all the bunnies would say, hi, good to see you. You know, uh, Patty's just still out on the floor, Patty's in the back, or Patty's changing, or whatever it is. And But you really felt great because you weren't like one of the, well, Japanese businessmen at the table there who were just, you know, doing the well, doing the same thing you were doing, I guess. But it was wonderful to go pick someone up at the Playboy Club. I mean, that was pretty cool. And uh, that's another thing. I uh, We need to actually buy another air conditioner for the studio because <laughs> just re- remembering these things. In any case, good luck and rest in peace to both of them. They really did... A great job. And Hugh, I was, I don't think we ever met, but I would sure consider myself a friend of yours for such a beautiful home. And, uh, and clean, by the way, I just want to say if you might wonder, well, wait a minute, was it clean? Clean from what? What's wrong with you? You mean, uh, cleaner than. The White House off the Oval Office there. But yeah, it was. They they kept it uh, clean from all the uh, the other comics and actors who went up that staircase for 30 years. Well, I never did, but it was clean enough for me. I sure would have. If someone had said, if one of the bunnies had tapped you on the shoulder and said, would you like to see room G? <laughs> the answer, before even the, before the, M in the word room. She could just get, would you like to see room? Yes. Yes, please. Thank you. Yes, I would. Do you know where it is? Yes, I'm, 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 I'm coming with you. Boy, terrific. Very nice to know you. Anyway, thanks, Tom Petty, and thank you, Hugh Hefner. And by... PayPal. That's right. Speaking of great organizations, am I going to compare everything to the Playboy Mansion today? Why, it's just like a fantastic charity. All right, maybe it is. Uh, But PayPal, boy, oh boy, makes you feel like you're saving the world every time you work with them. And uh, so please do know that if you enjoy my show, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send a few bucks to to help out. And why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And the way to do that is to go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. Boy, that was good. Sounds like the kind of cheers you'd get in Room G, I have a feeling. (sighs) Wow. 
Good for you, Larry. You too, Stacy. <laughs> well, you know what, though? And we have a flag, a banner. That's why I'm saying this, that, you know, on, on my website for PayPal. So go to the website and click the banner that says PayPal, and you can do anything. Oh, boy. And I, I have a, uh, you know, I have a preference. Instead of saying, I don't like to say donate to people or pay what you like. I like to say buy us some drinks. That's the way to go, because there are different levels, levels one through five, all the way up to... We're driving to Florida! <laughs> Boy, I think I just realized that that guy screaming yes with that huge round of applause, I think that might have been room H. And uh, so the second time you go... <laughs> Well, it, it means a lot, though, folks, to us. You know, look look for the PayPal banner on our website. And uh, every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And we like doing that. And thank you to everyone who has contributed already. And thank you to all of you who are just about to contribute because you've been really convinced and talked into it. And you say, you know what, let me go there. And uh, who knows, maybe you'll see room I. Or or H, even, if you're really a fancy guy. And uh, that's the place to go, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> oh, boy. You can only, by the way, if you don't play trumpet, you can play like that after Room K. That's uh, I I shouldn't shouldn't say that to everyone, but I just did. But you know what, they they don't like that news to get out too much because they uh, they don't want uh, what happens in each room after that is it just well it's a little nuts. I mean it it's it's really well it's crazy. K and L M N oh oh P and uh, room P is in a way the first one because you can actually pee. They have a bathroom in there. And isn't that something? Thank you again, Hugh. And uh, that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Yes, the joke of the week. And, uh, well, there's a, there's a woman uh, with two dogs, and uh, she's not married. She's in her 20s, and she's got two dogs in her house there. And these dogs... Go at it whenever they want to. They, there's just that's just the way it is, and uh, it's of course a boy dog and a girl dog, and they they go at it, and especially well all night long. Frankly, you know they they go at it, and it's really bothering her, and she's getting bugged by it, and she can't she can't sleep. She wakes up, yeah, you know it's it's no fun with these dogs just living that way all the time. And one night, it's two in the morning, and sure enough, the dogs are going at it and at it and at it. And she just, oh, all right, I can't, that's it. I can't do that. that that's it. And she calls the vet up, uh, the, her vet there for the dogs. And it uh, doesn't matter what time. When she's called, she's got to call. And the vet comes on, yes, yes. And she said, uh, look, uh, Dr. Abramson, you know, I want to, I just want you to know, she tells him what's going on with the dogs. It's two two in the morning now, and they're still going at it, and I just, I can't take it. And the vet says to her, you know what? Calm down, first of all. Here's what you do. 
hang up the phone. Just put the whole phone near the dogs. And I'll call up right now. And just the sound of the bell, let it keep ringing. And that will knock them out of whatever they're doing. And believe me, they'll just stop it. And she says, do you really think that'll work? And he says, it worked for me. (laughs) I got a kick out of that, and so did Colonel Jeff. (laughs) Oh, you mean when I called you now at 2 in the morning? Yes. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. The phone rang, and you woke me up. Anyway, that's a good one. I hope you like that. Pass it on to your friends and, and loved ones. And uh, I'll bet they chuckle, too. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. And uh, that guy's cough, by the way, came uh, from room L. A lot of people... Well, again, I, I can tell you these things now, and uh, it's in in honor of the man who made that place. Anyway, this is a beautiful poem uh, by the great Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And he also wrote the very famous uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. He lived from 1772 to 1834, he was a British poet, became close with Wordsworth, in fact, William Wordsworth, and he lived with their family for a while and fell in love with Wordsworth's, well, his Wordsworth's future sister-in-law. And most of the love poems of that period were inspired by her. Coleridge was quite a fella. And this one is called Imitated from Ossian by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. The stream with languid murmur creeps in lumens flowery vale. Beneath the dew the lily weeps, slow waving to the gale. Cease, restless gale, it seems to say, nor wake me with thy sighing. The honors of my vernal day on rapid wing are flying. Tomorrow shall the traveler come, who late beheld me blooming. His searching eye shall vainly roam the dreary vale of Lumin. With eager gaze and wedded cheek, my wanted haunts along. Thus, faithful maiden, thou shalt seek the youth of simplest song. But I along the breeze shall roll the voice of feeble power and dwell the moonbeam of thy soul in slumber's nightly hour. In room H. No, I cried. That was, of course, not. I just had added that to to be silly that was uh, that wasn't coleridge's way he probably didn't go to a lot of the the well the mansions like that in his day in any case i hope you like that that uh it's a beautiful poem and coleridge is quite a guy and uh room h yowzer 
<laughs> I don't even know what that means. In any case, that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, the magic movie moment. This is a good one. Well, they all are. This is a beautiful movie uh, on so many levels. It's Friendly Persuasion from 1956, directed by the great William Wyler and starring, oh, Lord, what a cast. Gary Cooper, Dorothy McGuire, Marjorie Maine, who I'm going to talk about today, Anthony Perkins, so many great actors in this thing. And, uh, well, the brief synopsis, as it says on the movie page here, a peaceful Quaker family's sanctity is tested during the Civil War. It's a wonderful movie, folks. And on so many levels, in drama, in spirit, in faith, and in comedy, there's a lot that's funny in this movie, too. And I love it very much. And the magic movie moment today for me is that, well, they have a, they have a, a horse farm in a way. And, and he, Gary Cooper, who plays Jess Birdwell, is going out with his son, Josh. And they're going out in their little wagon to sell some horses. And uh, that son is played, by the way, by Anthony, per Anthony Perkins. Josh Birdwell, he plays. And uh, it's a big trip, trip for him. He's about 15, I guess. And as they go out there, they go through, well, through Pennsylvania and Ohio and, and back again. And their last stop is at the Widow Hudspeth. Well, they had great names. I love these names. Hudspeth is a great name. Huh. And she uh, lives on a farm. She's, well, a widow, the Widow Hudspeth. And her husband has passed on. And... Marjorie Maine, oh, I hope you know her. She's such a great actress, had such great drama in her, and such a knack for comedy, too. She she had a voice that, well, what do you think of this? And she was just tough as nails, but so lovable. Called her husband Doc in real life, and uh, one of the greats of that whole 1930s, 1940s, 1950s era. And uh, so in comes Gary Cooper, and uh, with his son, Anthony Perkins. And the other thing Marjorie Maine has on that farm, by the way, is three daughters. And they are so perfectly cast. They are just like the the toughest, strongest, wide-shouldered, prettiest. I mean, they are any, whatever the word farm girl means to you as a compliment. These girls have it, and they see... Well, they see Josh Birdwell come in, you know, played by Anthony Perkins, and they flip out. And Marjorie May knows, knows this is going to happen because her daughters are man crazy. They want a man. They want to meet a man, get married. And that's and also in the days when that's just the way you said it. And these girls go nuts and they, they sing to him and marry me. Why won't you just simply marry me? They're, they're great. And Marjorie Maine is uh, interested, has a, you know, buys a couple of horses from Gary Cooper. And she's got a horse there named Lady. And it's not a pretty horse. It's, in fact, it's an ugly horse and some weird colors. 
and she'd like to get rid of it. And she she doesn't she's not playing a trick on on Gary Cooper. She's saying to him, "That horse is just too fast." And Gary Cooper has a running bet going with his neighbor and uh, the, Mr. Jordan back home. And uh, Jordan always beats him. On their way to church on Sunday to the meeting house where the Quakers go and uh, to the Methodist church where the Jordans go, and they hook up along the way on that path, and Dorothy McGuire doesn't like it, Gary's wife, and he's try he tries to pretend nothing's going on, but he keeps you know, cracking that, that the horse is there. And it's one one horse on a carriage, and they get going faster and faster and faster. And Jordan always wins; he just always beats the Birdwells. And so Gary Cooper hears Marjorie Main talking about this horse. What he? What he? Uh, the horse? Uh, she? She's a horse, and uh, she doesn't like to lose. Never loses, and she doesn't look like much. But she, I want to get rid of her in case. Well, young men come to court my daughters, and I don't want lady to uh, make the young men feel uh, well. They don't; they're not contributing here. That she doesn't; that she just beats their horses. And uh, Gary Cooper, one thing leads to another. He's, of course, thrilled just hearing this. She doesn't lose; never lost; never loses; doesn't like to; and uh, comes out of nowhere. So he does that. He buys Lady from Widow Hudspeth, and they're both thrilled about it because, uh, well, Gary Cooper thinks, I can go home with this horse, and this Sunday, on the way to meeting and uh, to the Methodist Church for the Jordans, I can show him and show everybody in my family, too. And he does that. He goes home, and it's, it's just crazy. Right. Because his wife, uh, Dorothy McGuire, who, of course, is playing Eliza Birdwell, is thrilled to see this horse uh, because she doesn't know that the horse is fast. And she just looks at it and says, that's I'm glad you did this, Jess. That's a nice, that's a good, plain animal. That's what we need. And she thought that's what it was. And sure enough, coming up on that Sunday, well, they're in the end, and Eliza is thrilled because she knows there won't be a race that day. Well, there will. And they, uh, sure enough, the Jordan got his horse there, a big black horse who's just as fast as heck. And uh, he's pulling out in front, and, and uh, Gary Cooper just starts to tap the butt on his horse lady, and t t t she takes off like a bat out of you know where. And she just she's going like a like a rocket, and his family f falling over each other, and and, the, and she said, and his wife is screaming, Jess, Jess, what are you doing? Yeah, Jess, stop that, stop this thing, and that horse, I'm telling you, that horse is going eleven hundred miles an hour, and uh, it just for the first time, Gary Cooper beats his good friend Jordan there, and <laughs> folks. It's a great scene, and it means the world to me. A wonderful movie with so much gain and loss in it in the middle of the Civil War and paints it in a way I've never seen painted. And such a wonderful family on their farm 
and they're endangered. But you know what, folks? When Gary Cooper and his son go to sell some horses and they meet Marjorie Maine and her three daughters, it's, it's really wonderful. Please see it. And, uh, oh, I think you're going to feel the same way I do. And you know what? It's it's great to feel that way because when you can make something that lasts like that, the, by the way, that's where Colonel Jeff was. He made, uh, left uh, in the middle of last week to go to back on the mainland to go to La Jolla, which is right in San Diego. Uh, next to it, or maybe it's maybe its own its own city. And La Jolla, it's a beautiful area. And uh, La Jolla is where the Comedy Store is. They have a club down there, and so does the Improv. And I worked both of those places many times. And uh, it's been boy, it's been a while when I knew he was going to record there. And they put him in charge of all the recording, everything, running the whole sound system, running the whole tape system running it, and their sound man was terrific. As Colonel Jeff said, it was a treat to have him along because he was, Lou is his name. And Jeff said he knew everything about recording and about that room and how to get the best sound in that room. And they they did a great job there. And uh, yes, I've been, uh, so congratulations to Colonel Jeff. Yes, I've been there many times. Am I... um, I have a couple of good good stories about the Comedy Store, in fact, because the Comedy Store had a condo for the comics. And in those days when, wow, you're a young, com- you're a young comic and you're, you're thrilled to stay there. You don't have to pay for a hotel and it's, it's, it's free for you. And it's a two-bedroom condo in a, in a nice complex of condos and... You really, you know, you don't notice that it's a little rundown. I mean, because every comic in the world has stayed there. And, you know, what they do there, I think the phrase God only knows applies. But that's the way it goes. That's life. That's life in comedy. And, uh, in fact, I met a young woman from the, uh, the audience there one night. And I, I'm serious. I never knew exactly what to say. We went back to the comedy condo. Now, I must have asked her or she asked me. I don't recall anything like that. And and uh, she more or less, well, more just led me by the hand into the condo. And I'd already been there a night or two. And now she led me into the, the the main bedroom where, where I, I I was staying is a big room too and and uh, well it was you know what happened in the next eleven and a half minutes is not your business but it it was I thought it was terrific which was okay with me and explains a lot of why well it might not have been the cleanest place around there but in any case well. That was terrific. That was again comedy, but my uh, my favorite memory is there. I I was working with Andy Clay, Andrew Dice Clay, and he and I were always friends. We always got along well, and uh, we got back to the condo one night after our shows at the comedy store, same place, and we decided oh, we're going to watch some TV, 
And we, that's right, we had gotten a six pack or two of uh, beer. And we were just lying on the floor, big thick blue carpeting, which hides a lot, apparently. <laughs> but we were lying on the floor, then we turned the TV on. And this was a regular TV, by the way. It wasn't a big screen or a flat screen or anything on the wall. This was a TV on the floor. And uh, we were on the floor and we're drinking this. And we got a movie on, a black and white movie from the 30s, I I guess. And it was uh, kind of what they used to call a B movie, I suppose. But that was fine with us. And Andy said, uh, you know what? Let's turn the sound off and make up our own dialogue for the characters. Well, it sounded fine to me. Folks, he started speaking as a couple of those characters. And I'm telling you... I laughed so hard, I couldn't even contribute. Within three or four seconds, he was just making me laugh so hard with the the new voices that he was doing of these characters. I can't do any of the things he was saying for you. See if you can guess why. But I was on the floor howling. And I, you know, you're slapping the floor and just, I couldn't stop, you know, just laughing and laughing. Folks, I finally had to, you know, I mean, after about 40 minutes, and that's a long time, I, you know, had to stand up and we weren't drunk. I wasn't drunk or anything. I just stand up to go and leave the room for a second just to catch my breath from laughing so hard. Boy, it was great. Now, so the next time, by the way, you happen to run into Andy Clay and he says, hey, you want to come up to the hotel room where I'm staying and we can put funny voices onto a movie after we turn the sound off? Say yes, because you won't. there's nothing to worry about and you'll laugh so hard too that you'll do the same thing I did. Although I bet you'll be a lot prettier. And uh, in any case, I also remembered that at the, at the, at the improv there, they put me up, they used to put you up at a nice hotel in San Diego, and I, you'd have your car. So one of the reasons we used to love these jobs so much, because you could just throw things in a bag and put the bag in the trunk. And it, for us as comics, it was great. You don't have to go to the airport. You don't have to check a bag. You just throw it in the trunk. You don't, you don't even have to zip it shut. And I went to this hotel, and one of those nights I was there, because I'd drive myself to the improv from the hotel for the show. And I turned on the Dodgers network because it was during the World Series. And a fella came up named Kirk Gibson. And I bet you know what happened then. And that was the night his leg was hurt. He could, he was limping. The Dodgers were down and... He was in the locker room, not on the bench. He, he couldn't walk. And he knew they were down, and he was such a such a great baseball player and such a tough customer. He sent word to Tommy Lasorda on the bench that, what was that, the eighth inning or the ninth inning? I can't remember. He said, tell Tommy I can do it. I can come out and I can hit. And they went nuts. They just, whoa. And they wanted to keep that secret. They didn't want anyone to see anything. And sure enough, there comes, as you know, Kirk Gibson limping. 
out of that dugout and up to the plate, and he hits, well, one of the most famous home runs of all time. And I was in the car listening to that I was as I was driving to the improv. Funny. It was the first car I bought out here, in fact, and it was a 1963 Chevy Impala, four-door hardtop that I had gotten for $600, in fact. I went down there with Leno to this old woman's house, and she was very sweet, classic old little old lady from Pasadena. But you know what, folks? I was in that car just alone and driving to the improv, and Gibson hit that home run, and I pulled over on a street there in just a regular city street in San Diego. There was no one around, really. It was just, well, late. It was about time to go to a show. It was about 7.30, I guess. At any rate, I just sat there with my mouth open because it was such a great moment. And Vin Scully, who is not announcing anymore, of course, for the Dodgers and well, so many people love him, just first and last. And he always did something I liked, which was he wouldn't over-talk a moment in baseball. He would just, he told you what happened, and you hear that, and uh, holy mackerel. And uh, that's why I pulled over with my mouth open, because you know what happened. And he tells you what it is, and he announces it, and then he just stops talking and you just listen. He lets the cheers of the crowd take you the rest of the way. And I will never forget being pulled over at a curb in downtown San Diego with my mouth open, just thinking, holy mackerel. What do you know about that? That was quite a home run, folks. And I'm glad. Then I, after that, I shook my head. And just let the, well, I let the crowd take me the rest of the way, which was over to the Improv in La Jolla also. And had a great show, if I recall correctly. But boy, folks, you know what? It's good to feel that way. My wife and I are leaving. Well, we're on Milleronia now. But we're going to see our son, who's in college, in his first regatta. What is a regatta? That's what I asked, and that's what Colonel Jeff asked, too. I, I'd heard the word, but I didn't know what it was, and uh, so I actually looked it up this morning on the Internet. It's uh, It says it's a series of races for yachts and rowboats. And in this case, it's my son because he's a sculler now. He's rowing crew at that university, and he's never done that before. And in the first week he was there, they sent word out that well, he's a great athlete. God bless him. They sent word out that they are going to have tryouts for crew. And he never did that. And he did went and did it. And he made the team. And we're very proud of him. And he was very proud. And so we're going. And they have, you know, of course, different levels. They have the, uh, the, the top level at the school with seniors. And they have uh, the first level is the one he's on, which is for novices, and uh, there, but that's full crew. I mean, they're they're running it, and they went, they rehearse and practice every morning for two hours out there, and you know what? Uh, Colonel Jeff had pointed out, by the way, that 
crew boats and races are like Formula One car races, where even the, the smallest aerodynamic change on that car, as I'm sure you know, even the tiniest thing can make a, a huge difference on the way the air moves around the car. Every single angle and shape on the crew boats is the same way. It makes a, a huge difference how deep the well, how deep the oars go, and the, the flat cut where they pull the oars back to the starting point as it goes through the air. And that's why you know if you if you've ever seen well a crew a crew running, and that's why it's at a regatta. So that's what we're going for, and that's why those scullers, they uh, after that race, they put a lot out there, and they are exhausted, and. Uh, whew, and, uh, oh, boy, you know what? It means the world to us, folks. Now, we're going to go there. We're going to have oh, we're gonna have a fine weekend. It's also Parents Weekend, which we were advised by everyone not to attend. Everyone there, when we took him up to school, for, he had heard also. And the bartender at the hotel we were staying at was telling us, I don't know how we happen to be talking to the bartender, by the way. That's that's just, we're friendly people. What's the matter? We can't talk to a bartender as we're walking by or sitting there for two hours. Either way. But he went to school there also. And he said, you know what? Don't go to a parent's weekend because everyone comes there. It's jam-packed. No one has a hotel room free. The prices triple for everything. And he's right, but my wife, God bless her, got a, got us a hotel room. May not be the nicest one in the world, but that's all right. We are, uh, we're happy to be going. We're going to a regatta, and we're going to see our son, well, row crew, be a sculler. And I think those are the right words, by the way. <laughs> right in if it's something different. You idiot, they don't become scullers. In any case... I know it now, and so do you, but we know the same things anyway, that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you got out of bed today and had a job to go to and a house to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. Be well, and we'll see you next time, and I'll tell you all about the regatta. (laughs) 